Please turn with me once more to Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and our text this morning will be from verses 27 down to verse number 33 of Mark chapter 8 that we read earlier. Verse 27 reads, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? All the way down to then to verse number 33, which reads, When he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And our title for this morning's message is, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This question that I have just raised is a very important question. It is a vital question that determines our eternal destiny. What think we of Jesus? Who is he to us? Today in the world, there are billions of people around the world who say that they believe Jesus or in some way, shape, or form, that they follow the teachings of this man. Truly man, but also truly God. <clears throat> However, many who would say that they follow Jesus in the world would deny that he's even God, or that he's equal with the Father in heaven. We think of groups like Muslims, and Jehovah's Witnesses, they would reject that Jesus is God, but still would say that they follow the teachings of Jesus. There are those who believe, indeed, that Jesus is God, but deny that his grace is enough. That is, it is sufficient to save the sinner from hell. They would deny the gospel of faith alone. And that would be seen in Roman Catholicism. Many say that they believe and love Jesus Christ. They may even come to Christian churches every Sabbath day. And to all the world, they may look like they're followers of Jesus Christ. But yet, they have no hatred for sin. And they have no love for righteousness. Who is the Jesus they know? This is the most important question of all. What think ye of Jesus? Who is he to you? Because it will determine whether you will spend an eternity with him or face the wrath of Almighty God. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, he became man. From the moment of his conception in the womb of Mary, he became man, assumed human flesh. Do you know him today? And no, I don't mean the Jesus of popular culture or the Jesus 
of the wider culture or the Jesus of many imagination, but the Jesus of Scripture, the one who's been revealed in the Bible. Because it's this Jesus who will save, the real Jesus. All other Jesuses formed in the mind of men are but idols. We see that most people in the world who claim to follow Jesus really do not. And the question for us this morning, the question for you here this morning is, do you know him? Do you truly love him? Is he your Lord and your master? Is he the truth, the way, and the life for you here this morning? Yes, in this world, but then also in the world to come. Does he continue to change you? None of us are perfect here, are we? We all fall short of the glory of God. And the question is not, do you remember when you first began to believe? Many of us do not. Many of us perhaps were too young when we trusted the Lord. We don't know when we began to believe. The question is, do you believe today? Do you love him today? And does Jesus continue to change you today so that you love him, love his law, and shun the evil which made his death on the cross necessary. So as we think about these things here this morning, let us look to the real Jesus of the scriptures. Our first point this morning that we're going to look at from our text is when Jesus is identified. When Jesus is identified, verse number 27 of our text and Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Whom do men say that I am? It's not just in our day that people get Jesus wrong, is it? It's been happening for thousands of years. Many did not understand the Jesus that they were to look toward. They did not understand because of an intellectual difficulty. Their difficulty was unbelief, hardened hearts. The question revealed here by Jesus is to show the range of opinions that existed among the Jews in Caesarea Philippi part of Galilee, northern Galilee at the time. It says in verse number 28, and they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias and others, one of the prophets. Do you see the range of opinions that existed about his ministry even at that time? Some confused his ministry for John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had to point out, and you see this in John's gospel, I am not the Christ. John has to point out to them he was the one who prepared the way for the one who was the one who was to come. Others named other prophets. Perhaps he is Elijah or Elias as is put down here. Now, it is true that Jesus 
was and is a prophet. But more than that, more than that, he is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king of kings and Lord of lords. More than a mere prophet, Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and the king. They were all looking for, they should have been looking for. But there's something very revealing in verse number 28. There is the temptation, isn't there, for all of us to make less of Jesus than he actually is. It's a major, major temptation. And we see it all around us in professing Christianity in our day. What's the temptation? Well, to make him into a mere man. Oh, he was a good man. A good teacher. A teacher of religion. But we can remove the fact that he is the infinite God the true and eternal God, without beginning and without end. Why do men have such a temptation in their hearts? Why do people resist this? Because they do not want to bow the knee to Christ. There are many people who may be attracted to the religious, clean living but yet are lost. This is a great temptation. Could this be you here this morning? Perhaps people look at you and think that you do follow the Jesus of the scriptures. And when they ask you questions, you say the things that they know that others want to hear. You know the lingo, you could say. There's certain Christian language that we end up using, but perhaps they don't know the low view you have of Jesus himself. You see, they all compared him to the other prophets when he was different. Do we just make him another mere man, a man who's teaching we can take some of it and reject other parts of it. We may be able to hide our low views of Jesus from others, but we can't hide it from God. God knows our hearts. He knows our faith. And by the way, if it's a faith the size of a mustard seed, it's saved. As long as you look to Jesus Christ and to him alone, you are saved. But he knows if you have that faith, whether you've looked to him and to him alone, or whether your heart resides in unbelief. You cannot hide it from God. But your heart remains in unbelief. Jesus is more than just a mere man. Yes, truly man, as you or I am, but also truly God. So when we hear Jesus speak, We ought not to just receive it just as the teachings of a mere man. We ought to tremble and hear the voice of God is speaking, the voice of the shepherd. It's the great temptation that we have when we come even into into worship. We have to realize that the preaching of the word is not just the teaching of a mere person. It's from the scriptures. 
It is the word of the living God. This isn't just good wisdom to live by. This is God's own word. Jesus is speaking to us this morning. Jesus speaks to us in the reading of the scriptures. Jesus speaks to us in the preaching of the word. He is truly God. Verse number 29, and he saith unto them, Jesus saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? It gets a bit more pointed. Whom do ye say that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. So you see all the range of opinions that are there about Jesus and who Jesus is. But who do you say that I am? And this is important. It's not about what everybody else thinks of Jesus. What do you think of Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And look at what they say. And it's a very deep and profound statement of faith. Thou art the Christ. Now, when we read that, we may not understand how deep that is. We may just think, well, of course he's the Christ. You see, we use the name Jesus Christ as if it is his surname. But he's Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, or Jesus the Messiah. What does that mean? Well, the idea here is of anointed one, anointed with oil. And in the Old Testament, there were three groups of people that were anointed with oil. Prophets, priests, and kings. And there were, you could say, many lesser anointed ones. But they were all waiting throughout the whole Old Testament. They were waiting for this person. The Christ, the ultimate Messiah, the anointed one, spoken about in the Psalms. We sung it earlier. The anointed one. The heathen raged against his Christ, his anointed one. This is the one they have been waiting for for thousands of years. This is the one that goes right back to the seed of the woman, prophesied in Genesis 3, verse 15 would crush the seed of the serpent. This is the lamb that would be provided by God to take away the sin of the word. Prophesied back in Genesis chapter 22. This is the one they were waiting for, friends. That's the depth of what they're saying. You are the son of God. You are the Messiah himself. If we turn briefly to Psalm number 2. Psalm number two in our, in our Bibles to remind us of that part of Psalm number two, verses one and two of Psalm number two. Why do the heathen rage? That word, the heathen or the nations, it could be translated. And the people imagine a vain thing. The only nation in the world that followed God was Israel. And the nations was another way of saying the unbelieving world. Why do the heathen or those who do not believe in God, why do they rage against him? 
Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And it's said of him, it's said of Jesus, thou art the anointed one. This is who you are. This is who Jesus is. He's not a mere man. He is the Christ himself. And do you know him? Do you know him this morning? So, number one, we've looked at when Jesus is identified. Number two, now we're going to look at when Jesus is distorted. When Jesus is distorted or our view of Jesus distorted. In verse number 30, it says this, And he charged them that they should tell no man. And he charged them that they should tell no man. That may seem like a strange thing for Jesus to ask them to do, doesn't it? Have you ever read that part of the, the Gospels and you see Jesus telling them, and he, this happens a number of times, especially in, in the Gospel of Mark, tell no one. Earlier in, in Mark's Gospel, thou art the Son of God, tell no one. They did anyway. But why such a command if today someone told you don't tell anybody about jesus don't share the gospel well it would seem like a strange command wouldn't it actually you should share the gospel and you should when opportunity presents itself tell people about jesus but why did jesus in wisdom tell them not to tell Anyone? Did they understand who the Christ was, the one they were looking for? Did they have the right view of the Christ who would come? And friends, they did not. They didn't. They were looking for someone who looked completely different. Yes, they were all looking for the Christ, all sorts of different groups. But they were not looking for the Christ as revealed in Scripture. They wanted a powerful king to restore the kingdom. They wanted the Roman Empire removed out of their lands. They wanted the freedom they once enjoyed. They wanted the restoration of the power and the might of the days of Solomon and others. They didn't want him. They didn't want him. And we know this, don't we? Because what happens? They see who Jesus was. And they cried out for him to be crucified. A very religious generation. And they sought for the Son of Man. The Messiah who would save his people from their sins. They rejected him. See, much of Mark's gospel, if you read through Mark's gospel, is telling them, tell no one. Why? Because their view of the Messiah was so distorted, so wrong. They needed teaching. They needed correction. They needed to understand who the Messiah was. 
we just look at some of these verses, Mark chapter 1 and verse 43 and verse number 44. Mark chapter 1 and verse 43 and verse 44. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent them away and saith unto him, this is verse 44 of Mark 1, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for testimony unto them. Tell no one. And in Mark 7, 36, Mark 7 and verse 36, and he charged them that they should tell no man, but more he charged them so much the more a great deal. They published it because they had this distorted view of who the Messiah was. They needed teaching. And if they thought, here's the Messiah, here's the king, here's our political leader we're looking for. And isn't it just, doesn't it just show, dear friends, the circumstances of our day, the culture can distort how we look at Jesus. We must be in the word of God daily, don't we, friends? No matter what is happening in our country, no matter what festivals may be enjoyed by the culture, no matter the people in power, no matter the oppression you may be facing, we must never drift from what the scriptures tell us about the Savior. Every generation faces this pull away and distortion away from what the scriptures tell us about Jesus. This time of year, we face, I think, a barrage of images of Jesus. That is not Jesus. That is a distortion of him. Our Jesus is glorious. Our Jesus is good. And any physical representation of him falls short of his glory. We are not to have any physical representations of him. And we can all face and be drawn to various distortions of Jesus. I remember I was saved back in 2009. I've been a Christian now for 14 years. And I remember watching a movie. I, I don't recommend anyone watch it, but it was about the, resur- about the, about the, um, the crucifixion of Christ. And I remember watching that film, weeping all the way through. I saved about a month. But then I realized later on, that's not Jesus. That's an idol formed in the imagination of man. We need to form our opinions of Christ, not upon movies, not upon all sorts of things, but upon the scriptures. Sure, we can be helped by various teachers, absolutely, and we should be. But they must be based upon the word of God. Friends, no image, no actor, no similitude, no likeness can ever represent Christ. All it can do is distort him. Do you love his scriptures? We must be a people of the book. And that is something our culture really struggles with. 
When I was growing up, I was not a reader. It was about in my early 20s when I started reading a lot. We must be people of the word. That we hide the truth in our hearts. Do you love to read the word? Is it the most important reading you will do? You may not be a scholar. You don't need to be. But you need to be a person. You need to be a father. If you're a father of the word. If you're a mother in a home, you need to be following the word. Children, whether you're five, whether you're 10, whether you're 15, you need to follow the word of God so that you are not following the distorted Christ of the culture because there is another Christ in the culture. And we can so easily follow and fall into that if we are not clinging to the word of God. Our third point is when Jesus is afflicted, when Jesus is afflicted. So we've looked at when Jesus is identified, when Jesus is distorted. And number three, now when Jesus is afflicted, what teaching did they lack? What teaching did they need? This is the teaching that they needed. Verse 31 of our text. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. We may think, well, is it, wasn't that obvious to them at the time? No, it was not. And actually afterwards you see that Peter rebuked Jesus for suggesting this, that he would face such affliction, such suffering. Let us think about this for a second. Why did Peter respond the way he responded? We would think, aha, I would not do that if I was there. None of us know what we would have done at that time. But from a human perspective, did it seem victorious from a human perspective to come into the world and to suffer and die? To suffer and die on a Roman cross. Did, did that from, a, from human eyes look like victory? Not at all. The king, the Messiah revealed in scripture would suffer many things. It didn't mean he was defeated. This was how he brought in victory. But from the world's perspective, this is not seen as victory at all. We don't want to see suffering, do we? Actually, if we know something is going to be horrible, if you're going to Many people fear going to the dentist. Why? Because probably everybody's had a painful experience in the dentist. Or if you look back in history, I was watching a documentary about the First World War, and many of the men who survived, they were talking about this in the 1990s, and they were talking about how in 1914, they were so glad to join the army. Why? Because they thought it'd be a short battle. It'd be over very quickly. 
and they would have swift and decisive victory over the enemy. They had no idea of the horror that would take place up until 1918. And by the end, people very reluctantly joined. Pain and suffering is not something we want to run into. That's normal for us. So does death and being killed sound like something victorious? How about rejected by the leaders? This is even another thing as well. Of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. He would be rejected. The leadership in the nation would say no to him. This was horrible to Peter's ears. So much so that Peter took him and began to rebuke him. This really didn't sit well with Peter. But that was his mission. This was the Messiah's mission. Yes, a glorious king. Yes, a powerful king that would tread over his enemies. But not in the way other conquerors would do it. He did it through suffering. He did it through enduring. He did it by submitting to his father. He did it by being meek and lowly. That's our Jesus. You see, he was afflicted. And none of us want suffering. I think there's a part of us that there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus even prayed as he sweated drops of blood, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thine be done. Through this suffering came victory. And this is the part that they didn't wish to hold on to. This was not a new teaching, by the way. If we turn to Isaiah 53 and verse 7, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Friends, we must never pick and choose parts of the Christian faith that are more pleasant than others. None of us like to think about suffering. Suffering is not enjoyable. Affliction is not enjoyable. But Jesus was willing to suffer and endure something he and his human nature did not want to go through. Nothing sinful in that at all. This suffering servant came to suffer and die. By its very nature, suffering is not pleasant. But think about this, friends. This is the God, the man we are to imitate and follow. He is the same God who made heaven and earth. Everything we see around us is maintained and sustained by him. And what did he do? He came into this sin-cursed world, a world that rejected him. He came into his own and his own received him not. But he willingly died, not for a good people, 
but for sinners. Not for people who sought him out, but for people who did not seek him out. He sought us out. He looked upon us and took pity upon us. He gave us a new heart to seek after him. How much he has done for us. The Jesus of the scriptures, the Jesus who was afflicted, is far more glorious and far more precious than anything the world could ever conjure up about him. But to follow him in this world, friends, is also to being willing to suffer. Do you see that? We can't atone for our sins. We can't. Jesus did that. But to follow the way of Jesus is the way of suffering. Why? Because they don't, the world doesn't love our master. But we have something they don't have. And we ought to take pity upon the world that doesn't have the wonderful blessings we have in knowing this Jesus who, yes, rejected, yes, suffered. It doesn't make any sense to the world. The world is, why would you endure this? Why would you go through such affliction? Because we love our Savior, don't we? We saw the victory. We see with the eye of faith. See, the world can't see this. That's why we pray for them. We pray for our, our friends and family who do not know Jesus the true Jesus of the Bible. Peter struggled. You may be here struggling this morning with this. Peter struggled with what Jesus said. He rebuked him. And friends, we can, when we're, when we're not submitting, we can be true believers in Jesus Christ, but there may be areas in your walk where you don't want to see God is light there, but you look at it and you think, that's going to cause me problems. We've all been there. We've all seen things in the scriptures. We almost don't want to see them because we know that it will cause us pain in this world. But that's what the Lord calls us to. It's not that we seek to suffer. We seek Christ, but in seeking to follow Christ, we will also suffer with him. It's not a way of glory now. There's suffering, yes, in this world, but there's glory in the world to come. But in the world to come, there is no more suffering. Why? Because of what Jesus says here at the end of verse 31. And after three days, rise again. Death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. So, yes, the means by which he went through may not have been obvious to the eyes of men. And it wasn't obvious to the eyes of Peter, but he was victorious. This is the one we tell people about. Jesus, victorious over the grave, which brings us to our final point, number four, when Jesus is declared. So we've looked at when Jesus identified, this is who he is. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed of God. When Jesus is distorted, 
They had various different distortions on the views of Christ. He is afflicted. This is the true Messiah. He came to suffer and die. That's how he brought victory. But when Jesus is declared, friends, do you see that Jesus is glorious and wonderful? And it's a privilege to suffer in this world for him. Because we have a holy joy. It's not the, the joy that the world has at times, which is fleeting. It's a joy that passes all understanding. Because Jesus is full of grace and truth. See, Jesus is to be declared. And as we see in Jesus' proclamation of himself, in his sharing of himself, he must tell his disciples. And rebuke him sharply. Look at verse 33. We read from verse 32 and verse 33. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. The big mistake that we can make is we think, sometimes we look at certain passages in Scripture, Jesus was meek and lowly. Yes, truly. And blessed are the meek, says in the Beatitudes, absolutely. But we can turn Christianity into something that is just about respectable religion to the eyes of the world. What does the world think? Now, I'm not saying that we should try to be different just to be different. But we will stand out. We will stand out. And Jesus himself rebukes. There are times for the sake of the gospel that the truth needs to be proclaimed boldly, even in such a way that will offend. That's not going to be popular with everyone. It even happens when we see it later on with Peter. P uh, Paul rebukes Peter in Galatians chapter 2. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. And from verse 11. Galatians chapter 2 and from verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews Dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away and their dissimulation. This is fascinating. Peter and Barnabas. Verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. Look at what's at stake. I said unto Peter before them all. If thou be a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles. And not as the Jews. Why compellest thou 
the Gentiles to live as do the Jews. Now, Paul, out of love for Peter, out of a love for Barnabas, out of the love for all of them, rebuked openly when necessary. When necessary. When the truth of the gospel was at stake. What was Peter doing that was so egregious, that was so bad, that it needed such sharp rebuke? Peter was rejecting the way of the cross. And so what did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Friends, we all fail. And the wonderful thing about the scriptures is it reveals that men like Peter and others failed. But God mightily used them. All the same, frail, weak sinners such as you and I. To proclaim the truth of the gospel. But there are times when the sharp truth needs to be declared. Correction is needed because people need to know the true Jesus. People need to know the true gospel. Now, we also need to be careful. We, we don't want to be trigger happy, do we? We don't want to be those people who are constantly at people either. And let's be honest, some Christians lack grace. However, there are times when we must rebuke. We must. Light shines forth. Darkness is challenged. Let's return to our question in verse 29. Whom say ye that I am? This Sabbath day, on this chief and queen of all the days, this wonderful day to find a refreshment in Jesus Christ, what do you think of Jesus? You can know about all the theology. You can have the catechisms memorized off, and praise God if you have that. But what think ye of Jesus? The most fundamental question of all, do you love him? Because to go to heaven is only wonderful if you love him. Think about that. Why would you want to go to heaven unless you love Jesus? Heaven is wonderful, not because of the absence of pain per se, but because Jesus is there. The, the blessed presence of God is there. We long for heaven because we long for God.
Father, please, we pray. If there are any amongst us, young or old, whether it be rich or poor, may they know the riches of Christ. May none leave here without looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. May we as thy people, may we wish to know more of him. May we wish to drink from the fountain of living waters. May we the Sabbath day be refreshed in him. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We pray all these things. Asking thee, O Lord, for to pardon our many sins. In Jesus' name. Amen.